just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes. This is Next Level Guy. The only website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. What's happening guys? It's time for another episode of the Next Level Guy Show podcast with your favourite tutor, Ian Dawson Mackay. Next Level Guy is a go-to men's interview, interest and improvement website where I quiz the experts to find out the hacks, tips, methods and protocols that you can implement in your own life to take it to the next level and live happier, healthier, wealthier, sexier and so much more. Today's guest is Robert Candell, who is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, best-selling author and has taught over 10,000 students in 400 workshops, coaching sessions and lectures on how to live an authentic and hidden life. He's the host of the highly successful podcast, Tough Love, and author of the recent Amazon number one bestseller, Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them. Robert is an accomplished teacher, coach and lecturer, an expert in interpersonal communication and relationships. He's helped thousands of students find a more balanced, energised life with better relationships, more sex and much more happiness. His coaching style is challenging, highly rewarding, and definitely not for the faint-hearted. He's been described as part football coach, part loving dad, and part slightly crazed drill sergeant. In this interview, we discuss issues such as anger, becoming vulnerable enough to be open to change, effective use of communication, and how to remove the mask we hide behind and become the person we truly desire to be. And now, let's get to the interview. Massive thank you for doing this. You know, I know we've been trying to get this going for a while, but um, sure. if somebody who doesn't know who you are, and you know, yes, and you had to give them a kind of thirty-second overview of who you are and why I'm so excited to get you on the podcast, you know, what would you say? How would you outline your job? Because you do have a kind job. I have a blessed life. My main thing I do is I solve problems. <laughs> you know, I'm looking for that branding. And we've gone through a lot of them, but really comes down, I can solve problems from the financial CFO role to the life coach, finding your own impersonal power role uh, to gender dynamics, relationship, intimacy, sexuality. I've just been through a lot of things myself and have developed techniques and concepts of having the life exactly the way you want it. I'm, I'm glad you could put it like that because when I tried to sum it up of like, there was so much of what you did and how you fixed so many different problems with so many different people. And I was thinking, how do I sum this guy up in an intro? I'm still, I'm still trying to figure this out. Like, but can you go into a little bit about your own upbringing? I mean, what was it that kind of got you interested in communication, relationships, you know, the kind of bond between people? Was there something in your childhood that kind of focused you towards that? Yes and no. I was a... Um, a kid who likes science and math. And so I think there was a tinkering aspect of my life. I always kind of want to understand how things worked. I wasn't exceptionally good at it, but I was always curious about it. And so that was one side. And the second side is my mom was a therapist. Uh, she was a housewife until I was like five or six, I went back to school and then opened up a private practice in our house. And then in that process, I watched people just come in and transform. And I think there was always the seed of, huh, this is part of my DNA as well, this concept of understanding people and giving them the tools to have the life they wanted. So uh, from my very young age, I had influences from my from my from both sides of my parents. 
No, that's awesome. I mean, to, for somebody to go back and retrain and, you know, to create their own business, even like nowadays, that's really impressive, you know, and it's, was that something that like your mom always had that kind of interest from? Was there that kind of like, was she the kind of person who would always be out helping people and, you know, bring like helping friends and helping your friends when they're upset and things like that? You know, was it a kind of a family of people who are willing to emotionally connect and resolve issues? I, it's a really good question because she was trained to be a housewife. I mean, she was born in the 40s. She was a child of the 50s. She got married uh, the first chance she get. I think she was around 20 at the time. And my my dad and my mom knew each other when they were 12 years old uh, going to summer camp and uh, and friends uh, since they were 12. My dad's a little bit older. So they they just it was just a progression back there. And then as you know, my dad did well work and we moved into the suburbs and they had two kids. And so my mom was just living that housewife's dream, like really. But there was an itch inside of her. There was something more. I think, you know, my conversations with her, she just wasn't gratified being just a housewife, which was in, in the America in the 1970s was a big step. So I really uh, applaud her her willingness to go against the status quo. And then once she got the training, uh, later years, when I, in my teenage years, my friends would go to my parents and actually ask them questions. They were telling, you know, they're looking for advice because my, my mom and dad were a good combination of different aspects of life. So my house became the place to go when you had a problem and needed some advice. I mean, that's awesome, especially somebody when you're like your kind of pivotal role model. It's somebody who wants to go against the, you know, the status quo and they really want to kind of get something better for themselves you know they're not willing to just accept what society tells you and exactly. i think that, that that's a problem a lot of guys have it's the kind of well my family want me to be a doctor you know my family right. want me to stay local and go to college local uh, meet a girl and settle down and move you know three doors down and i think that's the sad thing is we've forgotten how to be ourselves you know we don't know what we want right but would you say that like you know how you get people who will say just find your passion Go and go and mm. find what like drives you. Is that like really bad advice mm. in your opinion? Because no, I think it's great advice. I think it's really what's missing. I think a lot of us go and do things uh, that make our parents happy, but don't make us happy. So I think it's imperative. It doesn't mean it has to be the focus of your life, but to ignore the things you're passionate about. I think that's the life killer, and one that often leads to mediocrity. Because that's the thing that really sort of scares me is the idea of getting to like eighty odd and having regret. You know, oh, I've yeah. had enough regret. Had regret with not approaching a girl at a bar or breaking up with an ex, and you know, like something I've said to a family member or not seeing my grandparents enough, and you know, all these kind of things. But I don't want to get to that age and think, could I have done more mm-hmm. in my life? Um, do you know who Ed Milet is? I don't actually. He well, he runs his own sort of like podcast. He's a sort of like inspirational speaker, life coach kind of thing, you know. And one of the things he says is, um, like, he's quite religious, and he believes that when he gets up to the the gates and God, like his version is God shows him who he could potentially have been if he had taken all the opportunities mm-hmm. and done all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. He'll fight. He'll meet the guy, and he wants the the guy that he meets to be his twin. 
Like he wants to have thought, mm. I've taken Eric. And I thought that was a really great way of looking at it rather than thinking, oh, that could have been me. And that yes. it really kind of impacted me that. I mean, I'm not religious, but kind of like, oh, well, that really blew me away. And that's why I love doing this yes. podcast because I get to meet awesome guys like yourself who are transforming people. And, you know, when I first started sort of looking at improving myself, it was all this bullshit, basically, you know. Um, people mm. kind of going out, head in the clouds and thinking, well, well, you know, you just need to center your energy and you need to do this. You need to, and you people like, well, what do I do? They have no, they had no idea, but your stuff is just a lot of, a lot more concrete. And I love the recent video of like, mm-hmm. I think you were at, um, I'm trying to remember the name of like the conference and you're sitting, speaking to a guy from New York and you were just like ripping through all his, his mm-hmm. like story and his ingrained defenses and you could see he was so comfortable because you were actually willing not to pussyfoot around it and actually just get to that point and help him. But what is it do you think that makes your stuff so helpful and so like life changing? You know, how how do you think you're different to the usual the other guys, shall we call them? Because you you are life your stuff is life changing. Your book inspires so many people and makes so many changes, but if you had to sum it up yourself, why do you think you're more successful compared to some of these other guys? The first and foremost, I think, is that I've been through it. It's so much easier to to trust someone, to believe in someone who's actually gone through the wars. And I don't exaggerate my skill, but I think that's really important. I think there's a lot of coaches out there and writers who are trying to look good. And you can tell when a teacher is kind of putting on a false front. And so actually what I do is I turn the volume down. I actually uh, don't uh, broadcast as loud as I could because I do want to find the right people to show up at the right time. So I think, first of all, I've been through the wars. I've done it. The second is uh, my practice is based on what's called approval. And so uh, we live in an approval deficit world, especially men. We don't, we are deficit in receiving approval and we crave it so deeply. And so in my practice, I approve of the person 100%. And even if they're doing something dumb, I still approve of them doing something done. It's like when you have a computer with a virus, you don't throw away the computer, you just eradicate the virus. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, you just said your goal was this, and you said you wanted to do that. That doesn't make any sense to me. And through the approval, people can like not have to guard and then show and reveal and in the revealing of the of the bringing what's hidden out that's where you can make change rather than all these facades that we tend to wear so it really is in terms of you know whatever you do is right now let's do it better together i love that because a lot of times you know when you try to change somebody it's very it's like confrontational, you know, they kind of really don't like coming out of the comfort zone. They don't like being told what they've done is wrong or they cling to their story right. about things. You know, I interviewed a guy called Brent Smith years ago and he was talking about changing your story. And I didn't really, yeah. I, I, I understood the concept, but I didn't really truly understand it till I kind of mm-hmm. started finding, you know, your kind of work, like the work of like um, Ben Angel and these sort of people because it kind of really blew me away of, that you don't have to live with the kind of stigmas and the bullshit and the stuff that you've built up yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it about mm-hmm. um, guys, do you think? Do you see a kind of a commonality in the problems? Is there kind of a general set of issues or is it really kind of individual to the person that you deal with? 
It's well, there's there's both. So at the higher level, you know, we live and every country is different. Every subset of the country is different. But at the higher level, the main thing I'm seeing is that we're in a, a time of change for men. The scripts of our fathers and grandfathers going back to, you know, hundreds of generations of living inside what's called the patriarchy, the patriarchy being around for about 6,000 years, the scripts that were handed down don't work in the 21st century or don't work as well. And what we're seeing is, is, a, is a rise of women. We're seeing a rise of empowerment of the feminine inside us as well. And our inability to interact with this change, our tendency to avoid, our tendency to non-confront is actually deeply negatively impacting men's success in the world. We're not in agreement with it. We're in what's called aggrieved entitlement, this uh, thing that we think it should be X, Y, and Z. So, you know, a modern man, uh, a man who wants to find mastery needs to learn how to interact, connect, and succeed with the changes that are going on today and need to learn how to interact, connect, and succeed with modern women who are not going to follow the scripts that were given to you. So it's a time of change. It's a time of practice. It's a time of putting down um, our egos to really see what's happening out there in the world. And was that the kind of inspiration for the book? Was that the kind of, you know, you'd seen it so many times that you had to kind of, yes, because it, it must be no, almost infuriating that, you deal with the same like people, and they're coming up, and they all think our issues the worst, our problems are the you know the worst ever. This will be the first time you've ever seen it, that it's so deep and mm. integral, you know. And you'll be able to say, well, this is like the fourth time I've had this, but <laughs> like we don't we don't understand because I think we've almost lost the empathy of like really being connected to people. So we think our stuff is much worse than your stuff. That our problems are worse. Right. So how do you get like, how do you start dealing with somebody in that kind of, like, you know, apart from reading the book, which everybody should, what should, how would you start dealing with somebody? You know, how how would you start working with, a like, a therapist, um, like a coach? You know, how can we really start dealing with our issues rather than just giving it lip service and hoping you don't get to the real cracks of the problem? So uh, what my favorite saying is when the cost of staying the same is greater than the cost of change, then we'll change. So you look at your life and you can't sustain a relationship. You're not in the job you want. Uh, you have a challenge with porn. You watch too many v movies. You're into video games too much. When you look at that and think like, oh God, going to the gym or you know, investing in my addiction or uh, you know, getting some help from a coach, when the pain of staying the same is more than that perceived uh, pain of changing, then we change because we're human beings. We want the maximum results with the least amount of effort. And so it's inspiration or desperation, right? It's like you hear this podcast, you think, God, I can do better in my life. I can do better with women. I can do better with my relationships or it's desperation. God, I'm in stuck in this relationship or this crappy job, you know, whatever it takes mm -hmm. to get you moving in motion away from your status quo towards your dreams. It just takes one step. It just takes one thing to say, God, I'm so sick of myself. Let's do X, Y, and Z. Then there's a potential for your whole life to change. But without that, we just tend to stay, go to the pub, watch Netflix, date the same woman in different bodies. You know, don't try to get promotions. It's, 
it's just that it's just the reality of what it is. So is that why you think there's such a sort of adverseness to like change that we're not ready for it? Is that why people self-sabotage and fight tooth and nail to keep hold of that identity is because they're not ready yet, that it's easier to stay in that comfort zone, you know, that there's not enough pain yet to, you know, to make yeah. them change. Yeah. Or they're lazy. You know, there's a lot of permission to be lazy in society. And just to be really clear, like if you're happy in your status quo, God bless you. Like keep going, keep on going on. Like if you're happy, but if you're, there's some part of your life that you're not absolutely 100% thrilled in, then the only one stopping you from improving that is you. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. It's not your boss. It's not your wife. It's you. It's it's your your lack of willingness to get slightly uncomfortable or significantly uncomfortable to make the changes you want. And it just comes down to, again, to a choice. Okay, I'm tired of this extra 20 pounds. Time to change my diet. Time to hit the gym, et cetera, et cetera. But that only can happen inside your soul. And no matter what anyone else says to you, it's always your decision to make these changes in your life. And because that's the irritating thing into it is like when you try to deal with somebody who's constantly you know, like bitching for lack of a better term about things and they're nitpicking about like, oh, he said this, she said that. And then you start trying to work through it and you say, okay, well, let's, you know, why don't you come to jujitsu with me? And yeah. they'll turn around and go, oh, uh, 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 and they'll have a story about why they can't do that. But then it's somebody else's fault about the job issue. It's somebody else's yeah. fault about their, their father's upbringing with them. And it, that's what I, I get, like, because... I hid behind so many excuses, but I think that's the beauty about the audience I'm kind of building with this podcast is most of the guys that are listening to this are wanting to change. You know, they're, yeah. they've kind of decided that there's something about their life and they're no longer happy with just going to the pub and all that. They know that there's more to life and they want to like find that. Is that the kind of guys that you're finding are coming out more and more now that you know, like self-development and this kind of thing, is it coming more into the mainstream and it's becoming more acceptable than like say in our fathers and grandfathers' generations? You know, are, are you seeing more openness and kind of guys willing to work on themselves? Uh, not particularly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to be honest. And so I think what we see is, I think we see, you know, the bell curve, and on one side of the bell curve, there are guys who will never change, no matter what. They're still living in the 1950s, their viewpoints. Uh, and then you have the center of the bell curve, which I think is the majority of society. And those are men who are you know, somewhat intrigued, but not doing any work to totally clueless. And then on the other end of the bell curve are guys that listen to this podcast and guys that I meet and guys who are like, huh, this isn't working or life didn't end up the way I wanted it. And so I think what we need to keep doing is keep just adding to that subsection of of men that you know rather small percentage to say okay guys you know be the hundredth monkey you know it's like there's a game theory that it takes a hundred monkeys to to make a change like be the hundredth uh -huh. monkey in your your group of friends like god we're spending every weekend in the pub having the same drinks having the same conversations isn't there something else we could do you know why don't we do a book club once a month and sit down and read some books by men. Read my book, you know, read, you know, Dr. Robert Glover's book or, you know, David Data's book or uh, Brene Brown. 
or, you know, like uh, Men Interrupted or The End of Men by Hannah Rosen. Like there's so many great books out there. Let's just read it. And then once it will, how we can get better. Okay. Like, why don't we go take a hike or why don't we go to the gym? It's, it just takes that, that urgency of this isn't gratifying anymore. And if they say no, then the willingness to say, okay, maybe I need to diversify. Maybe I need to find a new group of people to, to mirror my own desire. Maybe it's time to spend a little less time with my high school mates and start to spend time with a new group of intellectually stimulating men, et cetera, et cetera. But it does take just you willing to say, no more. I want more. Let's figure this out. And um, you know, that was kind of really quite hard hitting for me because I, it, it was very much like I was when I was younger. I was going to the pub with friends when I was growing up thinking, um, I don't want to be here. You know, they were, I wasn't getting satisfaction. I wasn't happy. They were all happy in their state, like their status quo kind of thing. And yeah. none of them, mind you, I don't know if deep down what they thought, but none of them were communicating on any kind of level that was stimulating to me. You know, and it was all, I was kind of like creating a character just to fit in. And yeah, I kind of had to go away and find when I went off to um, college and, other jobs and stuff and then i found like blogging and it led to the podcast and like to guys to like yourself mm -hmm. that's why i'm so glad of this generation having access to people like you who can mm -hmm. put that out there and make them understand that yes there is more to life and give them the guidance mm -hmm. they need to do but you know how do you how does hiding i'm trying not to get too airy fairy here but how does like hiding who we are start manifesting itself in our behaviors you know do we start getting more aggressive do we start acting up do we self-sabotage more what's the kind of like red flags you notice when people aren't being true to who they truly are that's an interesting question i think it's kind of individualized um i think repressed anger uh you know i don't know if you've read no more mr nice guy by dr robert glover I've, I've read bits of it. Yeah. I've not had the chance to read the it, whole thing yet. It's an amazing book. It's a challenging book. It's a book you read and go, oh, oh, no. Oh, that's so me. <laughs> you know, like I read it, God, must have been 15 years ago at this point, maybe 12, 15 years ago. And it was so impactful. It was just like, oh, I started to see who I was in relationship. And the concept really was is that, you know, men put on these facades to interact in society. We put on these masks in order to succeed. But what we do is we push down all our personality, all the things inside that don't want to be seen, that we find unattractive. And then that, that spews into anger, that spews into challenges. And our willingness to be like, okay, I'm going to be authentically who I am, not like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like, you know, one to another, but gradually bring these different parts out of myself is so truly part of a man's mastery and our ability to be that and do that. And so with men who are, I see a lot of repressed anger and that anger is the cancer, man. The anger comes out when you're drinking. The anger comes out when you're in a relationship. The frustration, you know, the, against the father that didn't love us the way we wanted to, or the mother who didn't hold us the way we wanted to. And it's, it's, you have to go in and look underneath the surface to see who you are, or I trust me, it will come out one shape or form. Maybe not, you know, with someone intimate or your, or your lover or your kids, but somehow it'll come out. And if it doesn't come out externally, it will affect your body. So the ability to bring what's inside out in a, in a deliberate fashion is the road to mastery. Because 
it's it's really difficult, isn't it, to kind of like people go onto these autopilots and they act in certain ways and they're maybe not seeing that this is linked with certain things. And I was kind of blessed with like a, a mum who's really sort of emotionally intelligent. She's very intelligent in other ways as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas my dad, from his side of the family, they're quite standoff. You know, they don't really kind of connect emotionally mm-hmm. as much. Like, you know, they get on and all that kind of stuff. But my mom would talk to us about our feelings and what we want to do for our jobs and all that. And my dad was kind of like, a bit mm-hmm. awkward if you started talking about that kind of stuff, uh, like deep, deep stuff. And I just find like mm-hmm. I had I had a great upbringing from that point of view. But I had friends whose parents, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't speak to them; they were just not interested. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that really mm-hmm. sad, and I could see that the the problems that started with them. So, do you think that's like why? Mm-hmm. Like, I know there's more sort of physiological issues with but is this why a lot of people suffer with depression with low moods low self-esteem in your opinion yeah oh yeah i mean self-esteem is built upon esteemable acts the every time we do something against our own integrity every time we lie every time you know the things you hold in integrity you're self-defeating you're 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 beating yourself on some level some of the breaks are small and some of them are large and your ability to know, you know, what inside is who you are and what you mean by your own integrity is paramount to success. And so a lot of depression is, you know, anger towards inward. It's, it's the unacknowledged parts of our lives that we're not willing to look at and one's ability to truly um, confront and see is so important to his or her mastery. And so I'm just, I'm always saying it's just important to find out who you are, do the work, and then don't compromise. Compromise is death. And find out you know, what you want to do in this life and then deliberately and engage yourself to have it. Or at least on the approach of it. You know, like it's not the the journey, it's not the result of the journey that's the mastery. It's the journey. It's who you are. You know, every great tale is is getting to the end of the journey is kind of anticlimactic, but your ride along the way to your mastery, that's where all the fun is. So I highly recommend just discovering who you want to be in this world. So how would you go about doing that? Is that a case? Because I, I was suffering with depression a while and I was I got put onto antidepressants and I felt like mm-hmm. it, they helped at first, but it felt like they were just numbing the, the symptoms mm-hmm. rather than actually addressing the problems and since i started um, brazilian jiu-jitsu you know and you get to that mm-hmm. point of you're doing some physical yeah. you meet friends you're choking each other out and all that kind of stuff yeah. but it's almost primal and it's physical and it's that you know you're dealing with like you know you're a sport at its most basic kind of thing is yeah, and I got so much from it, and I started noticing I felt more alive and more centered and more controlled in the in the world. But I could also speak to people on a deeper level. I could actually mm-hmm. communicate better. And it's, do you think guys need that? Like, should we all be doing something physical, like rugby, jujitsu, martial arts? Is it the problems now that we're not getting play and touch and feelings and? bonding and like that kind of sense in team sports as we get older we stop doing like physical education and those sort of things i know i do like i had a back injury for the last month i was in a physical i was working with a physical trainer and something happened and my back went out and so i've been without 
physical fitness without my exercise for a month. And I could feel my self-esteem starting to drop. And then I started doing something called intermittent fasting, okay, uh, which I highly, highly recommend. Uh, what that is, is basically you eat eight hours a day. I do from 1130 in the morning till 730 at night. And then you fast the other 16 hours, which actually gets a lot easier as time goes on. And so I was, in, instead of able to exercise, I intermittent fasted, and I felt it kind of replaced it. Then I was ready to work out, and I've done yoga uh, two times this week, and it's felt great. So I, for me, if I don't take care of my weight as an ex-fat kid, um, it's, it's deadly. It's like it is the kryptonite to my mastery, right? And I just know that about myself. And so every man has to find his own way to build his self-esteem. For some, it'll be, you know, jujitsu. For other people, it'll be yoga. Other people, it might be something softer, like, a, you know, a walking practice or a running practice. You know, it's, it's, it's not once it fits all. But here's the thing. If you're not willing to look at yourself to figure this piece out, if you keep it in your subconscious, which I like to call the shadow, if you keep in the shadow, then it runs you. It's sort of like every time you reach for a beer, and that part of your un, non-confronted part says, uh, God, you know, this isn't really going towards our goals. You're gaining another five pounds, et cetera, et cetera. And then you ignore it. That's the death of you. So it's not, a, it's not doing one particular thing except listening to the deep knowing inside of you of who you want to be in this world. And if you can't figure out what that piece is, and sometimes it's very challenging, then hire a coach, hire a therapist join a, uh, a men's group, find a 12-step group, you know, worst comes to worst, go online and find like-minded people. The point is don't sit in the isolation, you know, running your ego, run the show, be willing to go out of your comfort zone and confront what lies underneath. And how do you do that in addition to like hiring a coach? Are things like meditation, journaling, sure. yes. all these kind of things, are they really as effective as like some of these peak performers mention? Like, how do I know I'm utilizing them correctly? Is it a way of getting through that kind of charter that we, we carry around ourselves and actually getting deep into the deep questions, you know, like, what am I here for? How do I, what do I want from life and that sort of thing? How do we know we're not dealing with our ego, but actually deeper down, like into the subconscious? Well, I'll tell you two stories and then I'll tell you a different answer. <laughs> so the first story <laughs> is, is um, I had a, an associate who told me a story. I'm not sure it was his viewpoint, but he said, if you, if you leave your house and go to, to the lamppost, every day for 15 minutes, your life would improve. Like you like you went outside, you sit out in the rain or in the cold and you talk to a lamppost every day for 15 minutes, your life would feel lighter. Okay. That's number one. Number two is I've looked at, uh, I'm reading a book by Michael Pollan, how to change your mind. It's all about psychedelics and, and fun things like that. And then there was a reference to a study and in the study, they, um, they put one group through, um, uh, psilocybin therapy, another one they just has a control group. And they found the same exact results. It's like, you know, with the psilocybin, the magic mushroom, like a third got better, a third stayed the same, third went down. Without it, just because they were in the study putting attention on themselves, the same thing happened. Uh, a third got better, third stayed the same, and a third went down, right? So it's not so much the thing that you do it's your willingness to look at it 
every time you look away from what's going on in your life, it then gains power. It increases in magnitude. So I'm I'm kind of assassinating the coaching business here on some level. Like I know on some level, I could just tell a guy to go talk to a lamppost and he'll do better. Now, luckily I have enough faith in myself that I offer, offer approval, I offer reflection, I have stories, I have exercises, you know, to add to a lamppost. But the point is, is that it doesn't require anything except your willingness to say, I want to do something different. Just putting your attention on the up level of your life will up level your life and then find the practice that really works for you. Like, I'm not a big meditator. Like, it's just not my thing. I'm, you know, I do think a lot when I'm in yoga class to avoid the pain of the hot yoga. You know, I do, you know, journal quite a bit. I'm a writer. So, et cetera. Those are my practices. But go out there and experiment and see what works and what doesn't work. I love that. It's, it's, it's the way it's, you know, it's not so much what you do. It's just the action of doing something, of of tackling that demon. You're actually yeah. opening yourself up. So how do, because that is something I struggled with, mm. was I use humor a lot. Um, mm. I've been kind of called up on it by a friend before where it was like, it's not something like I would kind of use almost like to keep you at like a, a base like level of friendship. I never let you get too close. I was also the joker if I was in a, an environment and it was too quiet or I felt like mm. I was in a conversation and I didn't know how to really respond. I sometimes use humor as a way of like mm-hmm. kind of just being part of the conversation or or be you know like being the joker in the room almost in a kind of sense and i kind of kept looking at it and try to deal with it mm. like why i felt the need to make jokes but like say if that as an example of somebody coming to you what would that show you like because i know it is a weakness in my personality because of i was struggling i wasn't being open and honest i was kind of putting a wall up the armor on but what would you do in that kind of situation how would you advise somebody to do to kind of be themselves in that situation rather than using humor as a defense mechanism. It's just awareness. So, you know, I have a cycle, it's in the book, and I'll just go over it really quickly of how to improve your life on anything. So the first step is to confront. And confront is just, like I said, turning your attention to become aware of what's going on. The second step is to investigate, to look at research, to find out anything you can around the topic. You know, humor as defense. Google humor as defense. I'm sure there are articles and blogs and stories and podcasts on it. And just take some information from the world to maybe get some clues into your own life. Uh, The next thing is to commit. And this is the most important part of the process. Okay, I know I'm using humor as a way to avoid intimacy. I'm aware of that now. Now I'm going to commit to change. Maybe I'm just committing for 30 days. I'm just committing to every time I feel the need to use humor to avoid, I'm just going to uh, make a hand signal or I'm going to clap my hands or I'm going to you know, squeeze my lips tight, just something. I'm going to commit to see what happens. Build a practice around it and then engage in the practice for that set time. You know, It's always good to get some someone to help you along to um, accountability partner, someone who you can like call like three attempts to use uh, humor today and like whatever. And then the ability to modify the experiment as you go 
And then when you're done with 30 days, debrief, celebrate, and see if you want to re-up it. See if it added to your life. So it's a cycle of just saying, I want something more. I'm going to figure out what this is. I'm going to make practice out of it. And then I'm going to see if this improves my life or not. If it doesn't, okay, you've wasted 30 days of not telling jokes. But think of the potential. Think of the possibility. What mm. could come out of it? That's the where the magic is. So this seems a perfect time for a quick break. I just wanted to give you a quick note on my affiliates. I've set up some awesome de- deals with some amazing companies. If you go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates, that's www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates, or if you're on the homepage itself, click on affiliate deals in the blue ribbon at the top of the page. You can go straight to my affiliate wonderland. There are so many special offers, listener exclusive deals, and discount codes available here. There really is something for everyone here. It doesn't matter if you're buying for yourself, a special occasion, or for someone else. You can find out whatever you need there, and there's a lot of inspiring companies and interesting products you might not have seen before. I look at companies from Onnit, Amazon, Me Undies, Barbell Apparel, Dollar Shave Club, and there's companies there that help with dating, sporting equipment, tactical gear. There's stuff there from outdoor equipment, gadgets, and so much more. If you need it, it's there, and there's stuff there you'll want, which you never knew you needed. Simply go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates and enjoy. Please note, I do not receive any information on you or your purchases. All I receive is a small commission from the business as a thank you for sending you to shop with them. This doesn't affect the price you pay, but it helps me develop and expand the podcast, so I'm extremely thankful for you taking the time to spend your money via my links. You're helping me make this podcast better and better each week and becoming a better person by doing it. You get the products, I get the commissions to help expand my site. Just click the graphic below and get on the details. If you're on the website post itself, click on affiliate deals in the blue ribbon if you're on the homepage or go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. Now, let's get back to the interview. Enjoy. I, like I really love that kind of approach. It's that kind of that way of dealing with something that some people probably aren't even aware that they're doing it. You know, like I, I found through jujitsu, for example, it kind of opened me up to that kind of like physical energy and that. I was a lot more open after it because I was kind of centered. I'd, I'd let down my guard. I kind of burnt off the the bullshit shell that I was putting up mm-hmm. and I was actually finding that I could be open and honest with people. I was having better conversations on the podcast. I was getting deeper questions mm-hmm. and it blew me away. And I was start thinking, I was noticing I wasn't doing it as much, but then the time there was a couple mm-hmm. of times there when I was going away for a week, we working that and I've noticed it come back in and it was almost like I was, that was going back to the comfort zone. So how do you kind of keep this going? Like after 30 days, would you kind of look to make that, a, would that not become a habit or would you be looking to change something else or would you be kind of double downing on that kind of habit? Because this is why I like your stuff. It's so deep and, you know, you just get through all the crap. You just start going, okay, right, we're going to do this for 30 days. Uh, you know, it's straightforward, it's actionable, it's concrete action steps. But what at what point mm-hmm. do you then lock that in? Do you always have to work on it? Well, the debrief is, no. I mean, the debrief, that's what the debrief is for. That's, you know, if you want to get really geeky about this, it's like, you know, there's something mm-hmm. called KPIs in business, known uh, performance indicators. Like, okay, we want our revenues to increase. 
let's look at the effective of our Facebook ads. And okay, like it seems that we, if we do this, that's more effective, let's do more of that. So it's the same thing with life. It doesn't have to be a new skill set. Okay, I wanted to lose weight. I cut uh, grains out of my diet. I stopped drinking for a month. I lost 10 pounds. Huh, man, that might that might have worked. Okay, let's try another month and see what happens. Oh, I lost eight pounds. Well, I'm, you know, halfway to my goal of losing 40 pounds. I'm making these numbers up, right, of course. But the point is, like, we think that life is an accident. We think that life just happens to us, that we're victimized by life. And my viewpoint is different. It's like we're co-creating life. We're co-creating with the universe. And the more energy you put in towards your life going the way you want it to go, the higher the chance that will happen, right? I'm not guaranteeing it. I mean, life will throw you curveballs. But if you're willing to say, I'm I'm sick and tired of looking at this round top. And then this happens to me. Like I, I get an extra 10 or 15 pounds on me. It's just kind of how my body works. I'm I'm a big fella. And and I'm just like, I, I sit every morning and I some days I avoid it. And other days I'm like, God, I'm sick of this. And then I actually start to do the work to lose the pounds. And all of a sudden I'm losing the pounds. Go figure. So there's no definites in life but what you put your intention on grows like if you put if you put your attention on your on your physical fitness your physical fitness will change hopefully for the better and if you don't then it'll stay the same or get worse so my point is is that try this 30 days see if it benefits your life and then in the second 30 day cycle maybe up the ante okay no dairy no gluten no grains for 30 days. I am crazy. I'm living in, you know, London or I'm mean, like there's there's beer everywhere and this is part of my life. I'm just going to try this for 30 days. What's the worst that can happen? Uh, that's kind of the viewpoint. Well, I love that kind of like as a, as a tagline, you know, it's like, what is the worst that can happen? You know, right. you're only doing something, for, like you said, for 30 days. And what's the worst that comes out of it? After 30 days, you go, nah, it's not for me. And you change it and then right. you start something else. Right. And I think this is the problem is we think that when we start a diet means you've got to stop everything bad. You've got, you can't have any treats and you think some, right. well, that's the worst kind of way to diet. You know, you, the eight right. 20 kind of thing, eat clean 80%. But it, it winds me up when I see these kind of like some of these gurus who come out and they're like, here's the five steps that you take in the morning that will change your life. And you think, no, because right. like not everybody's the same. Not everybody's coming from the same point of view. And that's why I really like the way that you you're dealing with like communication. Is when I first started like looking into you, I was like, oh, I know communication and dating, yeah. But then I started looking at like the communication we have with ourselves, the communications we have with our family, mm -hmm. with friends, with mm -hmm. our work, with what we put out into the world, and it it is amazing mm -hmm. the level of how improved our communication can change. You know, how do you think like? How have you seen kind of like mental transformations with people that like through their changes in communications? How, like, is there any kind of um, client transformations that stand out? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, first off, uh, language creates reality and reality creates language. So what you say first and foremost to yourself affects your reality. So even simple things like, I'm such an idiot compared to, okay, I made a miscue. I want to do it better next time. Those two things have significant different impacts on your psyche and self-esteem. 
you know, there's, there's things like you walk up and you're late and you say like, I'm sorry, I'm late compared to thank you for your space of my not being timely. It's like these little things, right? But they really impact you. And then how you communicate to others, you know, you're in an argument with your girlfriend and, and all of a sudden you realize you're in your ego and you're wanting to win the fight more than be connected to her. Well, guess what? Your intimacy will drop compared to uh, dropping into your vulnerability and being like, okay, hold on a second, honey. I got to breathe for a second. All right. I'm realizing that uh, what just happened triggered something with my last girlfriend. And I'm realize, realizing that it's not just you that I'm speaking to. It's I'm more, it's my anger with her. And then all of a sudden, you know, your girlfriend hopefully will be like, okay, well, tell me more about that. I want to understand that. And instead of being this antagonistic fight, you're in a collaborative mode to figure out what's going on with you. And so communication is so important. It is just like the key, the base of everything. And we're trained to be really bad mm-hmm. communicators, right? And so our ability to, to slow down and understand what's happening, to learn basic tricks of vulnerability and truth-telling, is it'll just change your whole life. Everything will change. So how, in that situation, how do you avoid going on the autopilot? Like, you know, if you're in a argument with a friend, with a loved one, like girlfriend, whoever it is, how do you stop that initial kind of, oh, well, you said this, or oh, you're fat in that dress, or you know, how do you avoid these kind of silly responses that just come off the cuff? Like, how can we get into the point of actually stopping? Is it literally just tell people, take a breath before you answer? Is there a mantra they can have in their head? Or like, is there a, a sign that they can look out for when these things come? Well, hopefully, if you're willing to put attention on yourself and your motivations, again, this is the internal work. You don't need anyone else to do that. We can go back to our memories and what are the biggest fights I've had with partners or, you know, where did I, you know, where did I use force instead of power? Where did I manipulate someone into, of you know, when did I gaslight? Like you can go back and do a kind of internal review and get to know who you are. Uh, slowing down always, taking a breath always. Uh, one of my recommendations when couples are fighting and you get stuck in that loop, you know, it's just like no matter what you say, things get worse. You're just trying and ah, I say, like, well, stop talking, take a walk around the block or twice or take a walk for a mile together in silence and just let, you know, stay connected energetically and physically, but just have a little mental space. Um, you know, my teacher taught me he who surrenders first wins. So you're in that fight and you realize you're just fighting because you want to fight rather than you want to be connected. The one say, okay, wait a minute. Are we fighting about the right thing? Like using disruptive statements. So the, there's, there's so many techniques you can take, but the first is a willingness to be like, I want something more than this habit, this back and forth that we keep having. And, um, it's just it's detrimental unless you start to work on it i love that like the idea of it's you know put it in the spotlight shine the light on the thing that you want to work on look back and kind of understand yourself because it's what you mentioned earlier about you know like has this happened with other girlfriends you know that kind of you're not seeing the patterns that we're developing and i think there's a lot of people listening that's probably had like a major aha like i have where you know you're probably thinking I'm fed up of like girls who are X, but you're thinking you're attracting them by your habit of doing 
you know, mm-hmm. or your kind of need for X because you never got Y from Z, you know, and it kind of blows you away mm-hmm. when you really look at this sort of thing. So how does communication change then if it's, does it or does it when you're dealing with family members or friends compared to loved ones like, you know, girlfriends or like wives? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, well, family and friends are two different buckets. So families, you know, I just, I've been working on myself for 20, 24 years at this point, you know, teaching for over 20. I go back to my parents last weekend. My dad's still pushing my buttons. He just knows. I mean, they say parents know how to push your buttons because they installed them. Like, really, like, he just knows how to do it. And the only thing that's changed is my awareness to not get swept in him pushing my buttons and just my relationship to him and who he is in the world. And God bless him. You know, he, he produced me. He helped produce me. Um, and it just means I don't have to fall for his bullshit, basically. And that took a lot of work to get to. So family members trigger stuff that are conscious and old. And, you know, we have a biological need to be connected to our parents. There is actually a biological requirement for our survival when we we're young And as you get older, there's still those programs installed. And so just having more patience with yourself around your family, I think, is really important. And then uh, with friends, it's different uh, because you you tend to the type of friends you have, you can actually be more honest. You can be a lot more honest with your friends than you can be with, with your family most of the time. And so and then at the same time, they can be more honest with you. And so there's not the same social games of withholding. And the truth can inspire and warm us up and take us to the highest highs. It can also kill us. So uh, just be willing to go on the ride and be willing to uh, be connected. That's the that's the trick I recommend. So how do we um, start getting through that? You know, because guys are notorious for not wanting to hug each other because they're worried that it could give off a sign of like homosexuality we don't like we don't like girls grow up even now like they go to the toilet together like if you're out on a night out they go and like um they're always hugging and kissing goodbye and you know they've got that kind of strong touching and bond physically like why do guys lose that you know how why have we built a society that it's not frowned upon but it's kind of drilled out as as kids that you don't kiss other men goodbye you don't kiss on the lips you don't hug each other you know you see more of the bro part and all that kind of stuff now but it's it's a kind of like a set control of like a few seconds you don't see people kind of really opening up and really giving each other cuddles and stuff like that what like why do you think that is 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 that kind of ruining our society do you think Oh, completely. I mean, that is the basic core belief system. I mean, underneath it, um, men in the patriarchy have been acculturated to avoid anything feminine, right? Like, don't be a girl. Don't be weak. Don't cry. Don't be a baby, right? So there's feminine. And homosexuality has been equated with all things feminine. So the second worst thing is for you to be homosexual because on some level you're being controlled by your feminine side. And so anything, if you're a manly man disconnected from your feminine, then anything that comes towards you that's feminine, not in a female form, could inspire you to be connected inside your feminine, right? It's like a rule breaking. 
and our willingness to understand this division. To me, a man being uh, connected and uh, using his feminine is like a superpower. Like imagine playing poker. The masculine side of us understands the cards, understands the rules, the logic, you know, what cards to play. The feminine side is the instinctual, noticing little details, trusting your feelings. And so the marriage of the masculine and feminine is what makes the best card players. But somehow out of these card games, if we, we our intuition is something wrong, it's our, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we definitely live in a society where anything feminine inside another man is bad and to be avoided at all costs. Because it, it kind of really hit home. You know, when I first started this, I've done about 60 episodes that I've released. I've got about another 10 or 15 odd there. And when I used to always ask a question about, you know, what is your definition of masculinity? And I think one person, um, a guy called Aubrey Marcus, mentioned mm-hmm. about f- female, like feminine energy yeah. in masculinity. They, you know, he licked the two. And at no point did any of the other guys come close to kind of really touching on that. It was all about like the strength, the da da da, you know, it's all this kind of stuff. But we all avoided that kind of like possible link to that. And he's he's very open and everything, and like even in his relationships. But a lot of guys couldn't cope with that because they couldn't cope with their partner being in an open relationship. They couldn't cope with like potential being rejected and stuff like that. And that's why a lot of guys just, they struggle with communication. And, you know, it's, does it change really? Like if somebody's listening to this and thinking, okay, I'm starting to see some problems I've got or my ways of dealing with things aren't working. Is there a rule that somebody who's dating or married yeah. should do it like this, and somebody who's single or who's young should do it like that. Or is this is the solutions the same regardless of what age or what situation you're currently in? Yeah, it comes down to knowing yourself again. I just keep coming back to this time and time again. It's like knowing yourself and what you want in this life is so important because if you know what you want and you're willing to be honest with yourself, then you're able to communicate it to others. And so, you know it doesn't matter how old you are and what age you are. It's like this, this knowing now when you're younger, it's harder, right? Because you haven't had a lot of life experience. Everything's kind of theoretical and it's, it's okay. It's like, it's okay to be, you know, in your adolescence, figuring things out, trying things out, you know, what's it like to kiss a boy? What's it like to uh, wear a dress? What's, you know, all these things that we're curious about. And some, some people try it. Some people don't No judgment is just a choice. But your willingness to go into your uh, places out of comfort, that's where you get to know who you are. And once you get to know who you are, then you can say for sure, I like this, I don't like this, or I'm curious about this part. You know, I was I was trained to be an engineer from the from the moment I was born, just like every aspect of me, math and science was my game. And I worked my butt off to become an engineer. I had an undergraduate degree in biomedical and electrical engineering. I got a graduate degree in, in, in biomedical engineering. Guess what? At the end of those six years of college and grad school, I never want to do biomedical engineering again, ever. I was like, this is ridiculous. I hate this. So I took my favorite part of it, which was computers, and started my career using that. I'm so grateful for those six years of engineering school because it taught me so much 
first and foremost, I didn't want to be an engineer. Mm. I wanted to be, you know, a computer guy. And then that led me to my career, which eventually led to one taste, which is a whole shift in my relationship. So my point is, is like, if you're not willing to try, if you live in the theoretical, if you're not willing to talk to yourself, then you never truly know who you are. And odds are, you're not going to get what you truly want. And is that where the, like the inspiration for the book, for the podcast, is that the, you know, is this the kind of stuff that you're finding that more and more guys are suffering from? So you wanted to sort of highlight that to people, that you wanted to show them that there is another way, that because there's that sort of stigma almost with guys going to like therapists and things like that, that a lot of guys are kind of put off just by other people's interpretation of that. Oh, yeah. Obviously, it would help. You know, yeah. is this why you think your podcast is so successful? I, yeah, I you know, it, it comes down to, I think our greatest fear is that we're going to die alone under a bridge, right? I think we we just have a fear that we're going to end up isolated with no money. And so we we fear that our actions or our lack of actions are going are, are gonna, to, you know, we avoid that. We avoid that fear rather than confront the fear and be willing just to say, all right, I'm going to find out the different edges. And again, I'm not saying you have to go from point A to point Z in one stroke, go from point A to point B, B to C, take your time, experiment, find out these little details. And so the motivation for the book was I was just sick of watching guys suffer. And guys are getting their ass kicked in the 21st century. I, you know, there's a lot of statistics that are showing that the world is changing, women are significantly changing, and guys are pretty much the same than they were 40 or 50 years ago. And so I just got sick of watching guys getting their ass kicked, not knowing why, and then giving up. And so the book is a call to action. It's a call for adventure in the you know, Joseph Campbell, hero's journey kind of way. It's a, it's a like, okay, you're not happy with what you are. Here are some pragmatic techniques around communication and intimacy and knowing your purpose and interacting with women that you can use in real time just to up-level your life one degree. And then success begets more success. And all of a sudden, your life's changing because you're willing to take a few risks. That's what the book's about. Because that's the bit like I struggled with when I was younger, was that bit of stand, you know, like, I need more, I need to change, I need to get something out of life. Where do I start? And yeah. that's that's why it's awesome now that we have podcasts like yours where we can sit and listen to this and we don't need to share it with anybody. We can buy your book and start working on it within. And it's terrifying that we even now we're still with all these kind of technology technology advances with these abilities to be more open and society like thankfully opening up a bit more about accepting certain kinds of relationships mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's it's sad that we're still holding on to a lot of the the BS that our grandpas and our um, fathers held yeah. on to, and it's scary. And I think that's an awesome mission that you've you've taken on there. And you know, what was the kind of the the I know it looks abstracted, but what what do you think of the response to the book? Because I couldn't really find anybody that was bad mouthing it. It just kind of I could you know people were really talking about the pain that you'd help fixed and. You know, we get people who go on about toxic masculinity and all this kind of stuff. But what, how do you think the book and the the podcast is is helping people? Has it? Is there anything that you wish or regret that you'd put in the book? You know, is there something that you you missed out now, or something from the podcast that's made you look back and think I could have really expanded on that or included it in the book? 
Well, the book, here's the funny part of the, about the book. So uh, it, it took 10 versions. I wrote it last year, 2018, started January 1, basically, and published. My book opening was on December 6th. And it was 10 versions in those you know 11 months of working on it. And um, it went from, you know the, at the max, it was about 84,000 words. And then I gave it to a bunch of readers, people mm. I trusted. And they all said the same thing. They said the content's good, but it's a little hard to read. It's a little, you know, it's a little hard to follow where you're going. So I was like, God, that's the last thing I wanted. And they're like, listen, you just need a simple, straightforward, conversational, deceptively easy book with your viewpoints. I'm like, okay, got it. And so I took those 83,000 words and knocked it down to 46,000 words. So it's something you could read in a day or two. You know, the the audio book that I spoke myself, I think it's about five hours. So it's something you can do in a couple of days if you're so willing. The The idea was just to write a conversational, you know, just from, from guy to guy about, you know, I've, this is 20 years of research. This is 10,000 students I've dealt with. This is, you know, building an organization. This is all of it, uh, you know, in the book. And it's all the basic items. So is there a second book? For sure. But I'm so happy that it packs a punch. It just gets down to that um, really powerful uh, baseline, simple, straightforward, you can use this today sort of things. So how do you make sure then that we don't pass the same stigmas, links, blocks, you know, onto our children? Because is it, are you, a, is it you're a stepfather to two daughters? Yes. Yeah, because when I went onto your Instagram, the love and passion, the proudness that you have for mm. your, you know, for them is amazing. the The way that you communicate and you talk about them is really beautiful, and it's it's really great to see that, like something that a lot of guys would struggle with, you've embraced, and you know, you're creating like a, a brilliant fi- family dynamic, but. How did you find that initially? Did you was it a struggle to build that communication to let you know to get them to accept that you as a, like that role? Because I know guys who have taken on like you know partners with children and they've really struggled with that themselves. So, or you know somebody that's become a new father. How do we make sure that we're not bringing our our own sort of like red flags onto them and just creating the cycle? Yeah. Oh, well, well, stepfatherhood is a, we could do a whole podcast on that alone. Um, It has been one of the biggest challenges of my life. Like I never expected to have children. I mean, I think when I was younger, I thought I should have children, but then I really realized it was not one of my top goals. You know, I built one taste for 10 years. I ended up in Venice beach by myself when I was 44 and just thought I'd probably find a partner, but I, you know, kids were not part of the equation. Then I met Morgan and it was like, Oh, this is my person. Like it was boom. It was like from the very beginning, it was like, this is my person. And she had two kids from a previous marriage. And it's funny for someone who thinks and strategizes all the time, there was just a yes to the children. It was just a flat out. Yes, this is, this is who I'm going to be. And so here's the secret um, to being a good stepdad. The first secret I found was I was going to do this on their time integrating through their lives, not my time. I was going to basically be available, have presence and not push my agenda of what I thought I should be, or they should interact with me. I was just going to be open to them coming to me in their own time. 
And uh, the younger daughter and I bonded pretty quickly. It was like she was four when I met her, and it was pretty quick that we became buddies. Uh, the older daughter and I are just after four years starting to integrate, like four years of of being in this dynamic, but just knowing it's truly on her time. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is about not passing down your bullshit that you learned from your parents onto your kids. That is mastery. And um, I am so lucky to have in Morgan someone who is uh, a researcher and a reader and an understander. I've learned to be a parent by watching her and her adjusting me on how she wants her kids raised. And some of it's been difficult. Like that woman does not believe in discipline, which is maddening to me because the things those kids say to her, if I said to my mom, you know, smack on the head. Mm -hmm. But uh, really like, it's just like, okay, I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna learn. And I can tell you learning to be a good step parent by interacting with Morgan has made me a better coach, a better friend, a better son, a better person. So I'm so grateful for the experience of of having her and these kids in my life. And how is having daughters, how has that sort of changed your views on the world, you know? Because a lot of the guys I speak to talk about how, like, the media's got us a male slant and it's set towards showcasing women in certain ways. You know, we've mm. got a society of let's face it, idiots, like a genre male mm-hmm. who see women as pieces of meat and stuff like that. You know, how has it kind of shaped you differently or made you a, a coach? Has it changed the ways that you teach people or your views on certain things that you maybe coach differently now by having oh, yeah. in your life? Oh, yeah. Well, here's a, here's a little specific story. So Morgan has something called hand-in-hand parenting. And what this is, is a technique where you never say to the child, stop crying. There's no timeouts. There's no uh, pushing down of tantrums. There's actually an invitation of the tantrum. So sometimes she'll sit with her kids for an hour while they're in a tantrum, and I'll just be amazed by her patience. And then what happens after usually 40 minutes of screaming about the cake she can't eat, all of a sudden the pain about the schoolyard friend who ditched her comes out. And all of my Morgan's like a little narc, like getting in there and discovering what's really going on. It's so fascinating. And so watching her with her patience has definitely impacted my patience in coaching. Uh, Morgan taught me about validating first. You know, oh, wow, I really understand how that would make you feel. Oh, God, if she said that to me, I could totally understand why that hurts your feelings. Just taking that second to validate creates rapport and connection. So that's added to my repertoire. I mean, it just go on and on. But really comes down to is that, you know, we are adults, but we're often uh, interacting with our childhood pain, our, our childhood wounds, and our ability to heal uh, our own inner child and to offer space for adults to deal their inner child. That's where the transformation happens. So I'm here to help people. And if I don't slow down enough to really um, hear them, then I'm not going to be as effective. Yeah, because that, that blows me away to think like how many kids, like how many childhood wounds we're still carrying. And I mean, I got bullied when I was in primary school, and even mm. now, I know it still affects me in the way I act. Even though that I think I've dealt with it, I know deep down, yeah. it just a lot of what I do can be probably some back, like the negative stuff can be some to it, and probably some of the positive stuff has been led from 
never wanting to be in that situation again. So it's yeah. terrifying to think that we could put that onto our kids. And that's why I think it's great that your books are there, that your podcast is there, that guys listening can go and find these resources to make sure that we're helping kids, you know, we're getting them to start off life on the right path and we're not giving them the, the same kind of problems. Not that it's a bad thing, you know, being able to tell them your story and things like that, but it's just heartbreaking to think, like, we're just passing on generation after generation of pain. And, yeah. And it's, yeah. I, I see the point of this, like, you know, the kind of, you're complaining about a cake, but in reality, you're letting out, it's a pain of, like, what happened at school, but you don't know how to deal with that. And yeah. trying to get them to open yeah. up and explain it and then be able to talk about it. It's a very interesting concept. I never really thought about that. I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have had the mm. patience. Even Well, now I'd, I probably would, but I dated a girl years ago who had a four-year-old daughter, and it was my first kind of father experience. And it blew me away how mm. trusting they can be and how they look to you for everything and they want to know and discuss and evolve. And yeah. It, and it gave me a kind of purpose almost in the relationship. Um, I was actually disappointed when I broke up with her, um, broke up with the mother because I really had a bond with the daughter. And, it, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, she changed my outlook on a lot of things and maybe definitely want kids. Um, but, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure that's coming at some point. <laughs> I hopefully haven't got any at the moment. But I'm, I'm really he- I'm aware that I'm taking up a lot of your time. So, I really want to have you on again because I think we can really go deep into communication and to relationships. But the first time I right. always like just a general kind of cover the area and just introduce you to my readers because you've got some amazing stuff there. But what do right. you want people to take from this? What do you want the, the go away message to be? If they could only remember one thing that sticks out to them, what would it be? The thing that I always like to end with is is this concept like i remember who i was right i was a good guy my entire life just a good guy but i didn't really know myself and i didn't really like myself when it came down to it and then doing this work over the last 20 plus years i've just grown to truly like who i am every day i wake up excited to do what i do to have the relationship i want and it's taken a lot of work but my point is is you, no matter what situation you're in, your life can get better. Now, I'm not saying it's going to go exactly where you want it to go, but your life can get better if you're willing to do the work. And so just a plea to not stay in your status quo, uh, just to take one step towards your, your dreams and your goals and your life will change and then take another step and it's really possible. And to buy a copy of your book. That's... Well, that'll help. That'll help. <laughs> well, for sure. If for people who are really keen, you know, because you've given some great advice and, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg, but how can they keep in touch with you? You know, where can they find the podcast? How can they get in touch and work with you? You know, keep in touch with the projects that you're doing. What's your sort of social media handles, that sort of thing? Everything can be found at robertcandell.com. That's K-A-N-D-E-L-L.com. Uh, you can download three chapters of the book if you want to take a listen for free. Uh, there's links to the Amazon. You can search on Amazon, Robert Candell. Uh, and all my social links are are prominently displayed on my website. So I'm on Facebook. I'm an Instagram person. I'm a slight Twitter person. Uh, but yeah, everything can be found at robertcandell.com, including the podcast, which is available on all the available podcast apps. But just go there and it'll point you in the right direction. 
Perfect. Well, I mean, I've become a big fan. I love like how straightforward and you know how life changing your stuff is, and how you can just cut through people's crap and actually just get to the root of the problem. You know, and I love your Instagram. It's it's great to see you share like what happens and share the bad stuff, share the good things, yeah. and show that you know you're not, you're not like some of these guys who claim to be hundred percent perfect. You have a lot. You're learning as you go. It's like you said in one of your posts about you never want to stop learning. You always want to keep mm-hmm. evolving, changing, and I yeah. love that. And it's a it's a great message for people to take. So the floor is open to you. Is there anything coming up that you want to promote? Is there anything that you want to mention? Anything that you think guys should check out? I would just start with the book. Um, the book will lead you to a quiz, and the quiz will lead you to my uh, Facebook group that I have for Unhidden. But just you know, the book is probably the best way to get my views or you can listen to my podcast. Yeah. So I would start with the podcast or the book um, and let me know what you think. That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time, keep trying to hit that next level in your life.